it, it's an honor for me to be here this morning. You can be seated. Uh, I, I'm excited. And Pastor Michael already introduced me, so I'll, I'll save all of my small talk. But thank you, Pastor Michael and Pastor Katie, for your support. Thank you, Becoming Church, for your support as well and what God's doing at Georgia State University through the Fellowship of Christian Athletes and what I get to do there. I'm excited about today. We had fun in the first service, and I believe we're going to be fired up here in the second service as well. Uh, I want to talk about Pentecost Sunday today and give us some reminders and give us some encouragements and challenge us a little bit as being part of the body of Christ individually and corporately. So let's pray, and I'm going to jump right on into it. God, thank you so much for today. I thank you for this church. I thank you that we get to be here and we get to worship you and we get to be a part of what you're doing in the world today. I pray that you would speak through me. I pray that this word would land on hearts, God, and that it would ignite a passion and a fire within our hearts to do what you've called us to do. In your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. So today is Pentecost Sunday. It's Pentecost Sunday, and we've talked about it some, but basically Pentecost Sunday is a celebration first in the Old Testament when the Israelites were brought out of Egyptian slavery, and 50 days go by, and God gives his people the law. So the Israelites are brought out of slavery under the Egyptians, and then God gives his people the law, and that was celebrated as Pentecost. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and how many of us know that Jesus changes everything, amen? That Jesus comes on the scene, and he's crucified right at the top of Passover, what we celebrate as Easter, and three days later, he is risen from the grave, and he walks the earth for 40 days, and then he is ascended into heaven. But before he leaves, he tells his disciples to wait in Jerusalem. And after Jesus ascends to heaven and 50 days pass by from his crucifixion, on that 50th day, which is Pentecost, is when he sends us his Holy Spirit and the church is birthed. And we're empowered to be the people of God and do what God has called us to do. And it's an incredible day to celebrate. And here's uh, an awesome fact, is in the Old Testament, when God gave his people the law, 3,000 people died. And that's not awesome, but, but what I'm about to say is awesome. So, 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 so 3,000 people died in their sin and in their rebellion when God gave the law. But then when Jesus comes on to the scene and he sends his Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us that 3,000 people were saved. That because of the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ, that 3,000 people received salvation when the Holy Spirit was sent. And this is what, what, what we come to understand, is that the law in and of itself brings about condemnation and brings about death. But because of the gift that Jesus Christ gives us, the Holy Spirit, with the Word of God, gives us life, and now we have salvation available to us. Jesus changes everything. And here's what I want to talk about and remind us of today and encourage us in, is that Pentecost, although we celebrate it and we recognize it, it's not just a once 
a year celebration. But Pentecost is a way of life for the people of God. Pentecost isn't just a once a year celebration. It's not a denomination, but it's the way of life that Jesus has commissioned us as his followers. And here's what I know, that a church and a people of God that take Pentecost seriously is a church that takes salvation seriously. A church and a people that take Pentecost seriously is a church and a people that does everything that they can do to see people come into a real and growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the whole point of Pentecost. Now, before I get good and started here, there's two things I'm going to do, just so you know, and you're not worried about me. I'm going to sweat, all right, and I'm going to preach. All right, those are the two things that I'm going to do today. I'm going to sweat. I'm okay. I'm not having a health emergency, and I'm going to preach. All right, so, so my friends on the front row, God bless you. I'm also going to spray it as well. So maybe if you have a little umbrella, just when, as needed, as needed. The whole point of Pentecost is to bring salvation. Amen. Now, now the old saints used to say, are you saved are you sanctified and are you full of the Holy Ghost? Amen. All right. You got to say with some ump in there. Are you saved? Are you sanctified? And are you full of the Holy Ghost? Amen. Amen. That, that's what the old saints would say. And I want to talk about that step by step a little bit this morning, that the purpose of Pentecost is to bring salvation to lost people, sanctification to God's people, and a fresh and filling of the Holy Spirit to the church. That's what Pentecost is about. <clears throat> and we live in a world today where it's glaringly obvious that we need salvation. Amen? That we need salvation in our nation, that we need salvation across the world, that, that we need salvation. And it's glaringly obvious that, that we need the people of God to be walking in sanctification. And it's glaringly obvious that the church needs a refreshing, a re reviving, and a fresh infilling of God's Holy Spirit. That we need salvation, sanctification, and the filling of God's Holy Spirit to empower us to do exactly what he's called us to do. Amen? So I want to talk about salvation. Salvation is us putting our hope and our trust in God and surrendering our lives to him because we recognize him as God, our risen Savior. And studies will show us that about 64% of Americans today self-identify as Christians. And that number is sadly probably slightly lower because that's just self-identification. And studies show that we're trending downward and that by 2070, that number will be about 50%. How many of us know that as the church and as the people of God, we have our work cut out for us? Amen? That we have a job to do. That we have a holy mission to complete. This is what it says in Romans chapter 10, verses 13 and 14. It says, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved from the punishment of sin. And this is important. But how can they call on him if they have not put their trust in him? And how can they put their trust in him if they have not heard of him? And how can they hear of him unless 
somebody tells them. We have our work cut out for us as the people of God. Somewhere along the way, we've lost our passion to show and tell. Somewhere along the way, we've lost our passion to show and tell. And somewhere along the way, we thought that we could reach lost people by being like lost people. Somewhere along the way, we thought that we could reach them by being like them, so much so that many of us have turned into them. Instead of loving and respecting, we've watched previous generations, by and large, condemn and belittle. And now my generation, in response to that as being an ineffective method, we think that Christian love means to change biblical standards, and we believe that respect is not to confront. And, and you may want to write this down. This is very important point, that there's nothing loving or respectful about assisting people to hell. There's nothing loving or respectful about assisting people to hell. There's nothing loving about enabling and affirming lifestyles that are less than the standard of God's creation and his intended way of life. There's nothing respectful about sitting back quietly while hate speech, bigotry, and systematic oppression continues to gain influence and deceive our nation. Here's the most loving and respectful thing that we can do as the people of God. The most loving and respectful thing that we can do is sit down with someone, tell them about Jesus and how he changed our lives and how he can change their lives as well. That's the most loving and respectful thing that we could ever do. The Bible says how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel. How beautiful are the feet of those who tell other people about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. John chapter 3 says that Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to save the world. That Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to bring life to the world. How beautiful are the feet of those who reflect that mission and who share that gospel message. Are you saved? Are you sanctified? Sanctification is the lifelong process of becoming like Christ. At the moment of salvation, I'm giving my life to God, but how many of you know that we still struggle with some issues? that I've given my life to God, but I still struggle with doing life my own way. I still struggle with resisting the temptation of sin. I've given my life to God, but there are still some things that need to be worked out of me. That process of working that out is called sanctification, and it's a lifelong journey. But here's the good news. The more I submit my life to Christ, the easier that becomes. The more I resist 
sins, temptations, the easier it is for me to turn my heart towards God and desire to do things his way instead of doing things my way. The more I resist sin, the easier it is for me to say no to those temptations. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away, and behold, the new has come. When we give our lives to Christ, we change. We do things differently. We don't live life the same way that we were living life before we knew Jesus. And here's what the sanctification process brings forth in our lives. A Holy Spirit-led life. This is why Pentecost is so important, that we embrace the coming of the Holy Spirit, a Holy Spirit-led life. I believe the evidence of a Spirit-led life and a Spirit-filled life is found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. And it says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's that last one that gets me, Corey. That self-control. That self-control, y'all pray for the preacher. And that self-control area, is that's the one that gets me here and there. And those fruit that we see in Galatians chapter 5, it's completely countercultural right now. It goes completely against the grain. To display these attributes, it sets us apart as believers. It sets us apart as the world, that we are different when we're walking in this kind of way. And I want to go over those one more time. That to have the love of God when the definition of love has been so diluted, that makes us different. To have joy and peace when mental health is at an all-time low, that makes us different. To have patience when culture teaches us to just match the energy, amen, that makes us different. To be kind in a world that sees kindness as weakness, it makes us different. To be good and to do good when sin is so enticing makes us different. To be faithful when to be flaky and dishonest is so much more easier. It makes us different. To be gentle when being harsh feels more fair, it makes us different. And to have self-control when everyone is saying just do what you feel, it sets us apart from the world. And my friend, I want to encourage you today that God's way is always better. That God's way is always so much better than the world's way. He's called us to live as his son Jesus lived, to live holy, to live a life that's full of truth and that's full of grace. This is what makes us different from the rest of the world. Amen? Do not be afraid to be different. Amen? Do not be afraid to be different. Do not be afraid of persecution. Somewhere along the way, we've gotten confused and we thought that in order to reach lost people, that we have to be like lost people, that we have to look like the world, that we have to talk like the world, and that we have to live like the world in order to 
reach the world. And in doing so, we're confused with them because many of us have become them. And now we've diluted this holy faith. And we have a generation who thinks nothing of it because of the way we present ourselves and because of the way that we present the Holy Son, Jesus Christ. And our prayer as a church and our prayer as the people of God is, God, would you revive us again? God, would you forgive us for doing things our own way? God, would you ignite a fire and a passion within our hearts to be more like you? God, would you change us? God, we submit our will for your will. God, would you show us your magnificent holiness once again? God, would you change us so that we can make a difference in the world today? God, would you have your way in our lives? In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18, Paul says, Do not be joined together with those who do not belong to Christ. How can that which is good get along with that which is bad? How can light be in the same place with darkness? How can Christ get along with the devil? How can one who has put his trust in Christ get along with one who has not put his trust in Christ? How can the house of God get along with false gods? We are the house of the living God. Paul declares that we are the house of the living God, that God's Holy Spirit indwells within each and every one of us individually and also corporately as the church, that God is living within us. And God says, I will live in them, and I will walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. The Lord says, so come out from among them, and do not be joined with them. Touch nothing that's sinful, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will, you will be my sons and daughters, says the all-powerful God. Like, what a promise from God that God says, I'm calling you up to a higher standard. And when I'm calling you up, guess what? I am with you and I am within you. You are not alone in this fight. You are not alone when you're being persecuted. You are not alone when you feel like people are judging you because you're doing things the right way instead of the world's way. God says he's with you and he's in you, empowering you. If we want to walk this faith journey well, then we have to be walking in sanctification. And in doing so, that's going to cause us to have to let go of some things. Big and small, we're going to have to change our intake. Dropping the old and picking up the new. Are you saved? Are you sanctified? Are you full of the Holy Ghost? I want to talk about being filled. In Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he empowers them. And he says, therefore, go 
and make disciples among the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And I love this part. He says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Man, that's why I love Jesus. That he just doesn't tell us to go and do it, but he says, hey, hey, this is a huge task that's set before you. This is a great commission. But guess what? I'm with you. I'm empowering you. Jesus isn't just telling us what to do, but by his spirit, he's within us and he's empowering us. So that makes us co-laborers with Jesus, co-surfers, suffering alongside with Jesus. He is with us and he is within us. Acts 1 verses 4 through 8 says, once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking them, before I go into this, like Jesus gives this amazing promise. He's like, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And this is what's been prophesied to you from generation to generation. And the apostles were like, great, we have a question. And we're going to keep on asking it until you answer. And this is what they're asking. Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Like, like what's up? Like, are we going to be free as a nation? Are we going to be able to uphold our laws and do things the way that we feel that we're called to do things? And this is how this kind of translates into 2023. As Christians today, many of us find ourselves wailing before God and wailing before people on social media, praise the Lord. And we find ourselves asking, when will we have a president that gives the church influence? God, when will we have media that gives the church a platform? Lord, when will we have schools that give the church authority? And guess what? These are all man-made entities. And if man can give it, then man can take it away. This is Jesus' church. And he's building it. And he's using us in what he is building. And all authority belongs to him. So stop waiting for man to give us permission to do kingdom work. We are a part of Jesus' kingdom. So we're not going to ask permission from mankind to do kingdom work. We are laboring for Jesus. We are working for Jesus. Our authority comes from no earthly office. Jesus has given us power and authority to spread the light of the gospel in our cities, in our nation, and to every single corner of the world. It is insulting to ourselves and to God when we act like the level of our influence is subjected to an earthly office. Now I'm going to take a second and just have a praise break right there because that word right there deserves a response of faith. 
this light of mine, I'm going to let it shine because I've been empowered by God to do so. Everywhere I go, I'm going to let the light of the gospel shine because Jesus has commissioned and empowered me to do so. When believers catch hold of this, then we can see salvation come to our nation. Then we can see ourselves walking in sanctification. Then we can see ourselves be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do things that we can never imagine ourselves doing. Verse number seven, after they're asking about the nation of Israel and having their power back, Jesus replies, and he's so kind in his response, but he basically says, that's none of your business. He says, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and time, and that's not for you to know. And he's referring to the second coming and of the new heaven and the new earth. In verse 8, he goes on to say, here's what you need to be worried about. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's what we should be concerned about. The power that God has entrusted us with and using it to do kingdom work. This is why Pentecost is so important. So my last few points right here. What happens at Pentecost? What's the big deal? What happens at Pentecost? We receive supernatural power. In Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, it says this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared on them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, here's what happened. People were around and they overheard all this commotion. And they were wondering what's happening and why am I hearing my language and they're speaking. I know they're not from where I'm from. And then people are around and they're wondering, like, what's happening in church today? Like, there's a crazy sound coming from the people of God today. And may people say that about us. May they say, what's happening at Horizon Elementary School? Like, like, why is traffic backed up all the way out here on the road? Like, what's all of that commotion going on over there? And it's the people of God being the church. It's the people of God embracing the power of God. It's the people of God using their power for influence for the kingdom of God. The people overheard what was happening, and they were like, man, are they drunk? And, and Peter gets up and he tells them, no, we're not drunk, but this is prophecy being fulfilled, that the Spirit of God would be poured out on his people and men and women would prophesy, that dreams and visions would be given, that miracles, signs, and wonders would be seen that masses of people would be saved. And here's our heart. Lord, would you do it again? Lord, would you do it in my life? Lord, would you do it in the life of the becoming church? 
God, would your word come to pass again? Because we are hungry for your presence. We are desperate for your presence. We want your supernatural works. We want to see our generation and the generations to come, see them turn their faces towards you and glorify the name of Jesus. God, would you reawaken your church? Would you revive us again? Would you save this nation and would you do it by using us? Acts chapter 2 goes on to say that Peter preaches to them and tells them to repent, every single one of you. Hey, write that down. Study it when you get home. But Peter says his power is available to you. And my second point is why do we need Pentecost? Why do we need this? We need this so that we can be empowered and so that we can be emboldened to share the gospel to everyone. Like that's the main purpose, to be empowered and emboldened to share the gospel to everyone and to see and to do miracles, signs, and wonders in Jesus' name. For all the confusion we see in the world, for all the deception that we see in the world, for everything that we're facing today that seems to just blow our minds, like really, that's what we're confused about? That's what we're fighting about? That's what's going on in our world today? And we see the darkness trying to take over. We need, we have to have supernatural power to combat the dark forces of the enemy. It's not going to be our own strength and our own wisdom that fights back the enemy, but we need the supernatural power of God working in and through us every single day. A good message, and this is a good message, a good message or a 30-minute talk once a week or whenever you can make it is not going to be enough. Head knowledge and intellectual theology concepts are not going to be enough. What we need is the Shekinah glory presence of God working in and through us that prophesies, that casts out demons, that speaks in tongues, that sees miracles, signs, and wonders working in our lives and in our churches. That's what's going to free our nation. That's what's going to bring salvation to our nation. And that's what's going to make the church relevant once again. God, would you revive us once again? Why? Why do we want this power? Why do we want these signs and wonders? So that Jesus would be glorified. Come on now, somebody. This isn't about a person. This isn't about a personality or gifts or talents, but it's about pointing people to Jesus. It's not look at me and what I can do. It's look at Jesus and what he's already done. It's pointing people to Jesus. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is not out of style. I'm going to say it one more time for the people in the back. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is not out of style. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit have not stopped. We believe that Jesus was risen from the grave in three days. Surely I can believe that God has power for me today. 
We believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. Surely I can believe that God can do something in and through me that's supernatural today. We believe that Jesus is going to return and split the sky open and end all of time. Surely we can believe that we can prophesy, that we can cast out demons, that we can speak in tongues, that we can see people who are afar off come to know the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Surely, if we have enough faith for the foundational things that blows our minds, then we can know that God can do something in and through us today. So how can we experience this power? How can we experience Pentecost every day? By submitting our lives to the one who gave us our lives and who gifted us with salvation. That's Jesus Christ. That's how we're gonna receive this power by submitting our lives to Jesus Christ, by being a people who are unified, by coming on one accord with one mission in our hearts. How do we receive this? By asking for the Holy Spirit to fill us with his power. By asking God, would you fill me with your power so that I can do what I cannot do on my own? And lastly, how can we experience this? By always expecting God to do something magnificent. By always expecting God to do something magnificent. That we don't come together corporately just to sing a few songs and to hear a message, but we gather together corporately to celebrate what God is doing within us and what he's doing through us. That we come together corporately expecting God to bring deliverance to people who are bound by expecting God to relieve us from the, the pressure of sin and the pressures of this world by expecting God to heal those who are sick. We we want to have an attitude of expectation that God can do anything, that there's nothing too big for our God. In a room this size with this amount of people, the Bible says where two or three are gathered, he's right there. There's more than two or three of us in this room right now. And I believe with an attitude of expectation, we can see God do some incredible things in and through our lives and in and through this church. We're called to be different. And if we're going to be different, we're going to have to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. If we're going to be different, we're going to have to submit our lives to God and say, God, not my will, but let your will be done. Ask God to do something great in and through you. Ask and expect God to do something great in and through the lives of others, both privately and corporately. In Exodus chapter 20, the Bible tells us that the people of God, the Israelites, were afraid of God's presence. So they told Moses, Moses, you go and talk to God. You go and experience the presence of God. And when you speak to God, you just convey the message that he has for us to us. So that's what happened. 
There is a place for the prophets, for the priests, that they could experience God on our behalf. But then in Matthew chapter 27, the Bible tells us that when Jesus yielded up his spirit on the cross, that the veil was torn in the temple. And now every single one of us can experience the presence of God for ourselves. That we don't have to have a priest. That we don't have to have a prophet. That we don't have to have a preacher. But I can receive a word from God for myself. I can experience the presence and the power of God myself. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says that we can come boldly to the throne of grace that God is welcoming us into his presence and we don't have to be afraid. Every head bow and every eye closed.